You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 to 14. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that all the, at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is a true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you sends your greeting, greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is a word of our Lord for our church and is given for our good. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to spend some time looking at this passage and then dismiss and give each other the kiss of love. But uh, let's pray. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father, we know that you are good to us because you have left us with your word. And had you left us to our own devices to understand you and comprehend you, we would be without hope. But in your kindness, you've given us your word, you've revealed yourself to us, and you've shown yourself to be kind to us and loving to us. And this morning, as we as a church assemble together to reflect on this, your word, we again ask that you, out of kindness, would by the power of your Holy Spirit work through the hardnesses of our hearts, the doubts and distractions, and help our minds to know and see Christ and be his people through this, your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, in 2005, Steve Jobs gave uh, a commencement address at, at Sanford University, some of you may know, and he famously ended this commencement address with the words, stay hungry and stay foolish. They were words that characterize Steve Jobs' career from beginning to end. He was hungry to make the future a reality in the present, but he was foolish enough to keep trying even when he failed, even when people told him to give up. Stay hungry, stay foolish. The words were powerful. However, no one knew where Jobs got the words. He actually got the words from his favorite magazine. As a young man, he subscribed to a magazine called The Whole Earth Catalog. It was one of his favorite publications. It was a countercultural science magazine that sort of promoted some kind of technological revolution through personal computing. And on the last edition of the last publication of The Whole Earth Catalog, on the back cover was a photo, and underneath the photo were the words, stay hungry, stay foolish. 
They were words Jobs had read over and over again in his life, as this magazine was prominently featured throughout his life, uh, hung on the wall and next to his nightstand, words that he would not ignore, and he wanted the graduates to not ignore as well. Well, this morning we're looking at Peter's final words uh, to the church. You may remember we've been in this sermon series looking at this first letter that Peter writes to the church. This is around, uh, around the, the earliest, the, the turn of the century, a turn of, and he's writing to a group of people in modern-day Turkey. And you might remember that uh, their allegiance to Christ is something that's relatively new in their life, and it's set them into a situation where they are now disconnected from the prevailing cultural narratives around them. And it's, it's alienating them in their workplaces and in their family structures and in their society as a whole. And he's written to give them wisdom as to how to conduct themselves even if suffering comes their way. What it looks like to follow and obey Christ in a world where they feel disconnected. And like Jobs, he is going to give these final, this final charge to the congregation. And like Jobs, he's going to give words that are more meaningful than just what you see on paper. They're words that have carried Peter from, from the earliest times of his ministry with Jesus all the way up to the present. And he's going to give, at least as I see it, four sort of charges, at least one of the ways we could look at it is under four headings, that the church is to carry if they are to conduct themselves well as they now live as displaced people amidst a society that was once home, that was once, they were once in the norm. As they live as a minority belief community, what is it going to look like? He's going to give them these four charges. They're going to be to stay humble, stay dependent, stay alert, and finally stay firm or stand firm. So first of the four charges, stay humble. We see this so clearly in verse 5. He instructs the younger to be subject to the elders. He continues, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. Then he quotes Proverbs 3, 34. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He then continues, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Peter's final charge to the church as he wraps things up and he gives clear instructions towards the end as to how they're to conduct himself is to be humble people. And it's no surprise that Peter, this is part of his final charge to the community because this is Peter, who you may remember was first to hear Jesus talk about the fact that his life was going to come to an end, that he would suffer greatly. And this is the Peter who, upon hearing Jesus say that he will soon die at the hands of his enemy, told Jesus that that is not the way things are going to be. In fact, he rebukes Jesus and says, you will not suffer. You are God's anointed one. You are the one through whom God's promises are going to come. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. This is Peter who, in the midst of his arrogance, rebuked Jesus and then, towards the tail end of Jesus' life, when Peter knows death is coming for Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples, you all will fall away. This is Peter, who arrogantly says, they all might fall away, not me, Lord. And what do we know? As the rooster crows, the voice of a little servant girl, a little slave girl, makes this grown man reduced to a puddle of fear and anxiety. Peter has learned his lesson and his final charge to the church in modern-day Turkey, and his final charge in some senses as he comes to the end to us, is that to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to be humble. There aren't arrogant Christians. That is just not the way it works. As Lyndon said, to be arrogant is to set yourself up against God. God opposes the proud. He stands against them. Peter's seen this in his life in his rebuke of Jesus and his arrogant commitment that he won't fall away. And he's a different man now. 
And he says, stay humble, church of Jesus Christ. Stay humble. Is this not a truth we see over and over again in our own life? That in the midst of our arrogance, the Lord knocks us down to size. And at that very moment, it's when we experience and taste his grace most afresh. I'm sure some of you have seen it. I don't know how many people were fans of the TV show Friends, but Matthew Perry from Friends recently released a biography, and I only read uh, some snippets of it as I found them through secondhand sources. But in his biography, he documents his some 14 failures in rehab and his six times that he was in detox, medical detox, to try to overcome addictions that had plagued his life. And at the lowest point of his life, he had overdosed on drugs, and he was found near death by his father. And he writes this in his biography. He says this, I hated myself. This was now my new bottom. I didn't think you can get any lower than my previous bottom, but I had managed to do it. And I frantically began to pray with the desperation of a drowning man. God, please help me, I whispered. Show me that you are here. God, please help me. Matthew Perry then describes something of a mystical experience, some, some sort of experience where he knew God's presence was near, and he wrote this afterwards. He said this, For the first time in my life, I was in the presence of love and acceptance and filled with an overwhelming feeling that everything was going to be okay. I knew now that my prayer had been answered. I was in the presence of God, and I started to cry. I mean, I really started to cry, that shoulder-shaking kind of uncontrollable weeping. I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because for the first time in my life, I felt okay. I felt safe. I felt taken care of. Decades of struggling with God, wrestling with life, addiction, and sadness, all was washed away. Like a river of pain, gone into oblivion. I had been in the presence of God. I was certain of it. And this time, I had prayed for the right thing. Help. The Lord opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Yet one more example. What we later learn in his biography is this wasn't the beginning of Matthew Perry's wrestling with God. In fact, the first prayer he remembers very clearly praying to God was, God, make me famous. And he felt that that prayer had become a curse to him. The second prayer he remembers praying, help, was a prayer in which he was heard, and God gave grace to the humble. Peter says, put on humility like a slave putting on an apron. The great C.S. Lewis said that the first step to acquiring humility, if there's anyone here that needs to work on it, is that you must realize you are proud. It's universally how you stand. You are a proud person. It might manifest itself in self-loathing and self-hatred or in arrogant narcissism. The underlying issue is the same. You are proud. And Peter says the core identity of the church, your identity, my identity, which we must never forget, the one thing we all have in common is we have done nothing to earn a seat at the Lord's table. We've done nothing to be part of sort of the A-team of our Lord other than being sinful, being a mess, being part of a group of people who are in rebellion to our Creator, at odds with the way we were made, a life consistently lived with narcissistic passion towards our own pleasures and desires and pursuits, no care, love, our allegiance to our Creator. This is the only thing we all have in common. And if this is what we all bring to the church every morning when we come together, every time we assemble together, if this is what we all bear as followers of Jesus, as part of our credentials, 
then not one of us is allowed to grow arrogant. Not one of us is allowed to ever outgrow that at our core, our identity is that we are forgiven based on nothing but simple and humble faith. No one comes through those doors with anything other than simple, humble faith. And this is why the church community must be a community marked by humility. I can't tell you as a pastor how shocked I am to over and over and over again see humanity's capacity to deceive ourselves. We are an arrogant people. We are proud. But the Lord stands opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Stay humble. Next, Peter says, stay dependent. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, this is interesting. Peter doesn't say, have no anxieties. Your God is the God who made the heavens and the earth. He's the one who sent his son to die for your sins. There's no reason to be anxious. What does he say? Anxieties will come. There is much to worry about. But your duty is not to revel in those anxieties or hoard them, but to cast them, these worries, cast them on the one who will take care of them, who will exalt you. The only way you're able to do this is to believe there is a God who made you and a God who cares for you, and he cares even for your worries. Cast those worries to the Lord. He cares for you. Stay dependent. It's interesting that Matthew Perry actually says that for two years, his sobriety was 100% a part of reflecting on that experience of being in the presence of God and knowing that this was his only hope for a future. Stay dependent. Throw yourself on the one who was willing to suffer for you. Know that the one who tells you to trust him is a good father who can be trusted. You see, Peter wants you to know that when you recognize that God owes you absolutely nothing, but he gave you everything, then it becomes a delight to live under his hand. Even if there's mysterious moments of suffering, pain, confusion, difficulties, even if worries and anxieties assault you and threaten you and you feel unsafe, Peter is saying at that very time, don't move to unsolvable despair. Don't commit yourself to trying to fix your problems. Cast your worries to the Lord. Cast your anxieties on him, for he cares. Stay humble. Stay dependent. Peter then says, stay vigilant. Verse 8, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why is that? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter's call is this, like a soldier to, a commanding soldier to a junior soldier, be alert. This is no time to be inebriated or distracted. You may remember, this is Peter who's giving us these words. He was one of the few that were called with our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane and told to watch and to pray that they wouldn't fall into temptation with James and John. And what do they do? They absolutely fall into temptation. They can't even stay awake and pray for our Lord in this time of great need. Peter wants you to learn the lesson that he has learned. This is no time of peace. This is a time of war. You must be alert. You must not be inebriated. He says that our world is a very real world where there is a predator prowling around, our enemy, 
this angel that is, has fallen in rebellion and now stands against his whole goal and the goal of his army is to stand against you. Peter gives the picture of like one of those National Geographic shows. The lion sort of prowling around, the king of the jungle. What is the lion looking for? He's looking for the distracted, the vulnerable, the weak, the one not paying attention that he might have a cheap and easy meal. It's interesting you know, someone has asked me recently, and there's been quite a bit of discussion recently, actually, about what, you know, what do Christians think about using marijuana? And I don't think Peter has in mind inebriation of alcohol or things like marijuana, but it is interesting. It is very interesting to me. And whenever you're around someone who falls into sort of deeply regrettable sins, the type of sins that just burn in your soul and that you, you bear a regret for the rest of your life, so often those sins are accompanied, uh, accompanied by a lack of sober-mindedness, whether that just be a lack of sleep or substances like alcohol or other substances. These things give your body the signal to not be alert. <laughs> they tell you to relax, to calm down. And Peter is saying, listen, there's a whole lot of reasons you can relax before the presence of our Lord, but what you must never forget is your enemy your enemy is behind enemy lines, prowling like a roar and lying. He knows his defeat is certain, and he has no problem doing whatever he can to sabotage you. Be, have clarity of mind. Be sober-minded. Be vigilant. You must have single-minded focus. Peter has already commanded this in chapter 1. He commands it again. This isn't a solo battle. Everyone in the community must come together and be alert, be watchful, and resist the devil together, like the rest of the Christian body, as he calls the brotherhood here, throughout all the time that has come before us, and throughout all of the world at the same time. We must come together and be watchful. Stay humble, stay dependent, stay vigilant. Finally, Peter gives us a warning, which, or an encouragement, which we might say, he says, stay strong. We see this in the conclusion of the letter. He says that he's sending this. This letter was maybe written by a man named Sylvanius. Most likely it was, he, was, he had written this for Peter. Uh, the ex exhortation is given to stand firm in the grace of God. Peter then passes along greetings, including the greeting of John Mark, which he treats as a son, before his final command to greet one another. He says the church, or he says she in Babylon, who is likely the church in Rome, sends greetings Greet one another with a kiss of love. Kisses would have been quite ordinary in the day. This would have been an affectionate way. He would have said, give each other a big hug. I don't think he would have said, give a, a firm handshake. That's a little too British. You know, maybe in our culture it would have been more like, give a, give a good hug. You know, the, this, this hug of love. This is what Peter wants the community to be known by, that they might be the people, though Satan prowls like a roaring lion, the peace of Christ might reside deeply in the body of Christ as they work out what it means to be the people of God in the world that they are walking in. This is how Peter wraps up his letter with this final command to stand strong. And this is not a, a command to, to, uh, to be stand strong in self-determination. It's not a command to be self-disciplined so that you might stand strong. You might be one of the tough ones. It's to stand strong in the grace of God. Remember, this is Peter who knows what it's like to be an epic failure, an unbelievable failure. He knows what it's like to bear unbearable shame, betraying his Lord, Jesus Christ, who he said he would never betray. It's the grace of God that restores a coward like Peter. And it's the grace of God that allowed Peter to say, hey, record those stories in all the Gospels. Never forget them. Stand firm in the grace of God. Be strong in the grace of God. This is Peter 
who the resurrected Jesus looked in the eyes after this failure and asked, do you love me? And then restored Peter by saying, feed my sheep. Stand strong. Stay strong. You know, some of us have been reading Augustine's City of God together, and I must admit it's way too long. He needed an editor. I don't understand most of it, but I want to say I read it so that I can fit in with that part of society that can say they've read Augustine's City of God. Um, And there are moments that are absolutely uh, brilliant, but what is happening as Augustine writes this book is the city, the, the nation of Rome is falling apart. The empire of Rome is falling apart. And all of Christians at the time are in a state of crisis. They're wondering, what does it look like to follow Jesus when this culture no longer exists? When, when there is going to be a new nation uh, through which Christianity is going to have to express itself? What does it look like? It, can Christianity even exist apart from the cultural expression as seen in Rome? And at the same time that Augustine is writing the city of God, another thinker who has a great impact on church history named Jerome translates the Bible to Latin, sees the, the, the empire of Rome falling and collapsing. And he, he flees to Bethlehem and lives in a cave for years and years and years in utter despair. He didn't feel that Christianity could continue on and all he could do is resign himself to this sort of aesthetic life pulled away from society in a cave. Augustine writes bravely and boldly and says, empires and nations will rise and they will fall, they will teeter, Babylon won't be here forever. The city of God, though, it will prevail. As we come to the end of this book, it's fitting for us to hear Peter's final command to stand strong, to stay strong. Sure, ours is a time where there's been a cataclysmic cultural shift, where Judeo-Christian morality, which was accepted as the norm for hundreds of years on this land, in this very nation, in the mindsets and in schools like this, there has been a tremendous shift. And there is reason to wonder, what is Christianity going to look like in the future? What is it going to look like to follow after Christ in, in a country that does not, not only does not sort of embrace sort of publicly in any meaningful way Christianity, but in a country that now sort of disdains some of their Christian heritage? And there's going to be a temptation to say, maybe we need to shift our tactics. Maybe we need to become more abrasive, more aggressive. Just go ahead and make enemies be mean. Others will say, maybe we need to pull away from the city, not be involved in politics, don't be involved in school boards, don't be involved in anything that gets our hands dirty with a world that doesn't like us. There's a temptation to resign ourselves and say, there's too much at stake, too much has changed, there's too great of suffering. What would Peter say to you? This morning he would say to you and he would say to our church, stand strong in the true grace of God. This is our only hope. Stand strong. For what promise does he give? Stay humble, stay dependent, stay vigilant, stand strong. Why? Look at verse 10. After you suffered for just a little while, what's going to happen? The same Peter who betrayed Jesus like a coward, the same Peter who hears the rooster crow every day of his life and remembers the greatest regret that he bears The same Peter who couldn't stay awake and pray in Jesus' time of need. The same Peter who pulled out his sword and chopped off the ear of the servant at Jesus' arrest. This Peter was the one who Jesus looked in the eyes and restored and confirmed and strengthened and established. And Peter is saying, that work is begun in my life, that Jesus has begun in my life, he will do to you. After you have suffered for a little while, God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
This is Peter's true hope. It's the hope that he gives his church in Asia Minor at this time. And it's the hope that he gives us. Stand firm in the true grace of God. For after you suffer a little while, God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is the truest story of the world. and It's a story that will be true in your life, I promise you. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our brother Peter, a disciple that we can relate with, one who's frequently putting his foot in his mouth, one who committed great acts of disloyalty, one who responded in fear, and yet one who became the rock upon which the church was built, the one that you restored, the one whose wisdom has been guiding us through this past season. Fathers, we think about all that lies ahead. There, there's likely to be very real suffering in some of our lives in the future, and if not in our lives, the lives of our children at the rate things are going. Would you remind us of the good news of Jesus Christ, and would you, would you by your Spirit, encourage us to stand strong? That in Jesus Christ, all of our sins are forgiven, because Christ died for us on the cross. That in Jesus Christ, as sure as he suffered and experienced resurrection, so also our suffering will not be our last chapter. Would you assure us of this, that resurrection is to come? And with confidence, would you shape us and make us into the type of people that can stand strong by the grace of God in the east end of Toronto today and whenever you ask us to in the days to come? We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.